Um, I, I wanted to share with something, something with you guys before we worship the Lord through the giving of tithes and offerings. Um, it says in James, the fifth chapter, and the 16th verse, therefore, and therefore refers to uh, teaching on the prayer of faith. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Uh, oftentimes, this is uh, speaking of physical sickness and healing from physical sickness, but it certainly cannot be limited to that. There is emotional illness that needs to be healed and spiritual illness that needs to be healed. And I felt like um, that it was time for me to confess to you. Um, let me do it this way, if I could. Uh, I love this church. And I'm very, very proud of this church. And I like to talk about it to people. I know that we are not perfect. I know that there's a lot of stuff we need to do better. And we want to. It is our heart to. We want to. We want God to be glorified through this ministry in, in, in all things. But because we're not perfect, sometimes I hear people come to me and say things about our church that aren't very flattering. I hear about people in our church that don't serve or don't give or only come when it's convenient and there's nothing better to do. And when I hear stuff like that, I get very defensive because my thoughts are on the people who do serve and the people who do give, the people who are growing in their faith, the people who are producing fruit that lasts forever. And so I hear some of these things and I get defensive. And when I get defensive, I lash out. And when I lash out, the result of that is the person who comes to me generally with a pure heart and a good heart and a concern for our church and people who just want to help. When I lash out at them, they feel like their contribution, their opinion is not important and that they have no value. That is a woundedness that is manifesting itself from me. And I want to confess that to you. And I want to apologize to you, to any of you who I have lashed out at, especially in the defense uh, of our church. What you think and what you're experiencing and what you're feeling is important. And I want to hear that. I want to say too, and then we're going to 
worship the Lord through giving. In the last couple of months, this year, in this calendar year, well, in the last six or so months, we've, we've made some tough decisions here at our church. Tough decisions. And not everybody agrees with those decisions. And I can't tell you how to respond to those decisions, but I can ask you to please try and do this. Every decision was made with much prayer and much counsel, believing that we were doing exactly what God wanted us to do that we must do what God wants us to do, even if it's hard, even if it doesn't make sense sometimes. When we discern God's direction and will, we must follow and be obedient. And so I would ask you, church family, to trust the leadership of the church who has prayed fervently and sought counsel on decisions that have been made, believing that they're doing what God wants us to do. And let's be together, and let's have unity, and let's accomplish great, great things that God has laid before us to accomplish together for his glory. Thank you for letting me share that with you. I want to ask our rushers, if they would, to come and take their places as we prepare our hearts to worship the Lord through giving. Pray with me if you would. Father God, there is none like you. On one hand, you hold all authority you do whatever you want to do. You are all powerful. You are unlimited in knowledge. And on the other hand, you are a God of mercy and you are a God of grace and you are a God of love. And you call us to yourself. You desire relationship with us. Not a casual relationship, but an intimate relationship where you involve yourself in our lives and you show us your mercy and grace and you reveal to us your love and you demonstrate that to us. And my prayer for each of us here today is that that might be an experience in our lives. I would believe, Lord Jesus, that many most that sit in this room believe that that is true, but not as many experience the reality of that in their lives. Help us to do that. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for your fresh start. I thank you that you lead. I, I thank you that 
that you guard against our discouragement by giving us vision for what you want to accomplish. May we pursue it. May it be priority in our lives. May we be about your business. And may you accomplish great, great things through this body of believers. We will be sure to praise you and give you glory. And now, and now Lord, for your expression and demonstration of love for us, we respond by a expression and demonstration of love for you. All that we have belongs to you. We return a small portion just as a way of saying we love you. May these gifts be used to bring you honor and glory is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to watch a, a video that I asked Arthur to show uh, before the message this morning. So, Vic, if you could go ahead and play that video for us. Now 
Well, that was meant to be a challenge to us, but I believe it's also a calling on this church. Uh, the message today, the heart of the matter, transformation and missions. I want to talk to you about missions, but I want to begin by defining missions, and defining missions may be a little bit different than uh, what you expect. I know that normally when we say missions, we think about something that we do somewhere else, outside of the city of Orlando or outside of the United States, but that's not necessarily the truth. And so we begin this morning with a very familiar passage in the in, um, in Acts chapter 1 and, and verse 8. And Jesus is talking to his followers just before his descension, ascension into heaven. And he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You will be my witnesses. You will speak of me. You will introduce other people to me. You will tell people of my love. You will tell people of my sacrifice and my death and my shed blood. You will tell people of my provision for salvation and forgiveness and eternal life. You are to be my witnesses. But you will not do this under your own power. No, the power of the Holy Spirit will be with you, will give you words, will give you guidance and direction, will tell you when to speak and who to speak to, just as he did in Jesus' earthly ministry. We have a calling before Jesus ascended into heaven. He said, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of every nation. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you can be sure of this, Jesus said, every step of the way, I'm going to be with you. I will be with you to the end of the age. It cannot be more clear in Scripture, God's heart on this matter. We are called to be his witnesses. And when we live a lifestyle where we fail to be witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ, we live in disobedience to the command that he has given us. This is the heart of the matter in regard to missions. I think it's also important that Jesus took the time to say that we would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, which is where most of these followers were living at the time. This was their home. This was their neighborhood. This was people they interacted with. You're to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and, 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 and in Judea, which is just all that is is a little bit broader area. Go out of your way in order to be my witnesses. In the, in the, in the context of where we live, he might say, and you will be my witnesses in Avalon Park and in 32828 and in all of Orlando. 
He says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea. And then he says, Samaria. And I've heard a lot of different ways that, that, that Samaria is interpreted in its application. But I am convinced that what he is talking about is, is an area that was really in the same region as Judea. Many would say Samaria was a part of Judea, but it was a totally different culture. We have that here in Orlando. We have those who live in the same region, in the same area, but have a different culture. Our Hispanic community, particularly, be my witnesses to this different culture. Reach out to them, share my love with them, tell them of my forgiveness. And then he says, even unto the uttermost parts of the world, you are the church of Jesus Christ, and you have a responsibility, he says, to share my truth with the entire world. And evangelical Christians for 2,000 years have made it a point, one of the reasons that we call ourselves evangelical Christians is because we believe in the Great Commission. We believe in sharing our faith. It's a tenet of our faith. It's, it, it's not an option. We can't choose not to. We've got to reach out and share Jesus with other people. In considering missions, I thought I would share with you four realities that I heard David Platt share uh, on an occasion, he is the, the president of the International Mission Board and uh, spends his life talking about missions. He gives these, these realities. First, he wants us all to understand God is on the move and that in our uh, lifetimes, in our generations, we are seeing God do incredible things in the nations among the people groups. For example, in 1900, Africa had 10 million Christians. By 2000s, the number of Christians was 360 million. Thank you, Jerry Sharpless, for your ministry in Africa. And others in our church, the Wickers spend much, much time in Africa. God is doing a great work there. That's probably the greatest change of, of religious culture in a nation since 2,000 years ago when the Church of Jesus Christ first got started. Most statisticians say that 360 million Christians in Africa is now about 50% of the population there. Last Sunday, more Christian believers attended church in China than in all of so-called Christian Europe. More attending church and worshiping Jesus in China than in all of Europe. Kenya has more people in Christian churches on Sunday than Canada or Britain combined. More Christian workers from Brazil are active in missions or cross-cultural ministry outside of their homeland than from Britain and Canada combined. The point is, is that God is up to something. The point is, is that in our day, 
There is unprecedented growth of the church of Jesus Christ. And we're seeing thousands upon thousands upon thousands come to know Jesus as Savior. We ought to believe God when he says, I am able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ask or think. And so this reality that God is on the move is certainly true in our generation. We don't see that a lot in our country, do we? As a matter of fact, people would say that, that the United States is really no longer a Christian nation. And I ask myself, why But I encourage you with this, what God has started and what God's plan is, God will finish. There is no authority above him. There is no one or nothing that can thwart his plan. But we know that we have not done the job. We know that it is God's heart that there will be people from from every people group. The Bible describes it this way. Every tribe, every language, every people, every nation, it says in Revelation 5.9. Jesus himself said in Luke 24, repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all of the nations. That's our calling. That's our mission. That's our commission. That's the command. That's the priority. That's the heart of the matter. We are to share the love of Jesus with others. It's not an option, but centuries have gone by. And for some of us in this room, decades have gone by having done little or nothing in sharing the love of Jesus with other people. The consequence of that is 2,000 years after our Lord and Savior gave his life on a cross, there still are over 3,200 people groups that are unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there really, if we're going to be honest with one another, is no justifiable explanation for this. We think of the size of the global evangelical church. Those are churches that believe in the Great Commission. There are about 300 million evangelicals in the world. And if you did the math on that, that means there are 92,000 evangelical Christians for every unreached unreached people group. There are 92,000 believers for every unreached people group and that is our commission and calling it's going to take everybody to be involved I speak to every single person in this room who knows Jesus as Savior to be challenged by this the name of that song I think was do something it's a challenge to us But it won't take equal gifts. It will take equal and joyful sacrifice. Every believer has some gift that is needed in the cause of world evangelism. Every person in this room, there is a way God wants to use you. And he wants to use you in your uniqueness, in the way that he has wired you in the giftedness that he has given you, he wants to use you for this cause. 
The great need of the hour is joyful, sacrificial courage in the cause of world evangelism. This fourth reality, the influence of gospel transformation, is a, was a light that came on in my life, in my mind, as I thought about the reality of this. I experienced it last week as I traveled with Mauricio and Jennifer Campos to Mexico, and we spent a few days there looking at opportunities our church may have to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the influence of gospel transformation. Robert Woodbury is the professor, is a professor at Baylor University, and he published his research about five years ago in which he draws this conclusion. The way for missionaries to achieve the greatest social and cultural transformation is not to focus on social and cultural transformation, but to focus on the gospel conversion of individuals from false religions to the worship of the crucified and risen Christ. Think about that. To put it another way, missionaries will lose their culturally transforming power if they make cultural transformation their focus. Studies have shown that the greatest social change among people groups comes from a true conversion to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. When that happens, there is practical, moral transformation of life. As a matter of fact, you can't have one without the other. That when an individual comes to a saving knowledge and experience of Jesus Christ, he becomes a new creation and there is a moral ethical even transformation that takes place in their life if there's not one there's not the other they go together I, I, I see this it, we were in Aquascalientes Mexico last week it's about a three hour drive from Mexico City right in the middle of Mexico we did some ministry in a community of Asquas Calentes called Palomino, about a two-mile radius, over 50,000 people. If you ask the leaders of that little community, it's not little, is it? 50,000 people, over 8,000 children. And if you ask them, what is your greatest need? They would say, our greatest need is social needs. Our greatest need is, is to address the suicide rate in our community, which is the highest suicide rate in all of Mexico. Our, our greatest need is, to, uh, is education of our children because they're failing in their education because there's no parental involvement in their education because most of them don't even have a parent in their home. Maybe they're being raised by a relative. Our, our greatest need, they would say, is teenage pregnancy. It's rampant. It's everywhere. Teenage pregnancy. 
And they would list social issues that are their need. This study from this professor at Baylor, what he is saying is the answer is not to focus on those social needs. The answer is to focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is to take to them the saving knowledge of Jesus. That that is the most effective way to bring about social change in that community. Focus on social change in that community and it'll fail. That's what the studies show. Focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ in that community and you will see social change in that community. We saw it so clearly in our visit to Mexico. Now, having said that, I want us to look at this passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 14. And I want us to glean from it God's heart on this matter. Now, I want to tell you that this is, this is a parable. And, and, and the context of this parable has to do with the gospel being presented to a Jewish people who rejected it. And Jesus saying, because you rejected it, that it is going to be offered to the Gentiles. That's, that, that's the context of it. But I want to broaden the context of it. I want to I broaden the application of it. I, I, I have said before, in, in the community that we live in, we live in an extremely difficult mission field here in Avalon Park. It's a hard mission field to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not because we don't have the freedom to do it. We have the freedom to do it. It's that, that who we're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with are good, good people who don't feel like they need a relationship with God. And, and they're people who, who have things that they need. They're, you know, everything's going pretty good. And, 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 and they follow the laws and they pay their taxes and, and, and they, don't, they just don't see this, this need. And yet we share the gospel with them. I see, I see that a little bit in this parable. In verse 12 of Luke 14, Jesus said to the man who had invited him to a feast. I would have loved to have been there for this. Jesus addresses about four or five groups of people in this 14th chapter of Luke. And, 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 and he, um, I won't use the word rebuke, rebuke, but he teaches them. And I imagine there was a little bit of a tension at the dinner table. This was um, a man who had invited him. And Jesus says to him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. I think that all he is doing is reinforcing something that he taught at the very beginning of his ministry in Matthew chapter 6 when he says to them, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where three thieves break in and steal, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Have an eternal perspective. I love this part. This is a very important part for us as a church. Where your, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Treasure, treasure is your, your, your talent, your, your, your giftedness. It's your, it's your time. It's, it's your money. It's, it's the resource that you have available for you. And, and, and where, where you put that, where you invest that, how you use that, that's where your heart will be. That's where your affection will be. That's where your love will be. That's where your priority will be. You invest in something long enough and you begin to love that something. I don't care if it's a dog or a Model T Ford or whatever it is. You invest and you invest and you invest and it becomes your prized possession. It's true. It's, it's human nature. That's the way it works. And Jesus is saying, invest in eternity. Invest in people. Invest in the kingdom of God. Allow that to be your heart. Allow that to be your greatest affection. And so he, he goes on. One of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things. He said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. This was a Jewish man who was thinking the only people that were going to eat bread in the kingdom of God were Jewish people. But Jesus said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, everything's ready. But they all alike, all who had been invited, all alike, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Is it implying that he hasn't seen the field that he bought yet? I mean, that's a silly excuse, right? And, and uh, another said, I, I bought five yoke of oxen and I, go, I need to go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I married a wife, therefore I cannot come. Uh, yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to. Look, uh, I got to take care of my possessions. I don't, I don't have time for the feast. My job won't allow me to seek God at this time. Sunday's family day in my home. We're not going to do church. So, so the servants come back and they report to the master. By the way, the master is God. And you and I are the servants. And, and those who are being invited to the banquet are all those who don't know him. And, and sometimes we in the church begin to use the same excuses that they use not to come and get to know him. We're busy. I got to look after my investments. I got a career to take care of. I got a, I got a family to, to, to raise. 
And on the surface, you know, we, we can walk away feeling justified in those kind of excuses. But I want to tell you, you get down to the bottom of it, and they're silly excuses. Especially when you consider that the greatest thing you can do for your investments is put Jesus Christ first in your life. And the greatest thing you can do for your career is put Jesus Christ first in your life. And the greatest thing that you can do for your family is put Jesus Christ first in your life. And so when Jesus, when, when the master got the report that all of these excuses had been given, he got angry. And he said, all right, I'll tell you what, you go out and you, you invite the poor and the lame and the blind and the cripple. Why would he do that? I think maybe because poor people aren't concerned about their possessions. <laughs> or maybe maimed people aren't concerned about their careers. Or in the culture that they lived in, a blind person was very unlikely to be married. What in the world would keep a married couple from going to a social event? In other words, the servants were to invite those who were not distracted by possessions and vocations or affections. They would have a heart for heaven. They would have a heart for God. They would be easily able to see their need for God and for the things of the kingdom. We see God's heart on this matter. I love, it says, the master said to the servant, listen, go out to the highways and hedges, compel people to come in. I want my house to be filled. None of the men who were invited and turned down my invitation will ever taste of the banquet. Now, Jesus, when he was talking in this parable, he was talking about a much greater banquet, right? He was talking about a banquet. He was talking about a, the kingdom of heaven. He was talking about eternal life. And we see his heart. We see his heart for, for people. I, I, want, I want you to know that, that over the next few weeks, we're going to talk very, very specifically about what we feel God wants us to do in this area. In our Jerusalem, in our Judea, in our Samaria, and in our uttermost parts of the world. At two weeks from today, I, I, I want to be ready to give you the vision that we feel like God has given our church, Avalon Church. I, I want to tell you what I feel like he has told us with clarity what he wants us to accomplish. It's going to take everybody to be involved. And I want to tell you, it's going to take faith. Because we can't do it without his involvement. We do a lot of things around here that we can do without his involvement. That's the truth. That's not faith. The Bible says that, that he who is faithful with the little will be put in charge of much. 
that when you take the little that he has given and, and, you, and, and you step out in faith and do extraordinary things with the little, that he'll put you in charge of more. And I don't know, I'm not, I'm not sure that we can say that's what we've been doing for the last five or six years. So over these next few weeks, it's important that you be here next week. I know spring break's coming up. It's important that you be here for these next few weeks. I hope that you'll come back, especially on the 26th, because I do, I want to share with you what I feel like God has laid out before us. I want you to be praying about this. I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for our, our leaders, our elders, and, and as we continue to, to put together this vision from God and share it with you. I want to invite you to stand. Everybody's standing. What's the takeaway today? <laughs> Scripture is as clear as clear can be. We have been called to tell people about Jesus. Well, I don't have the gift to do that. It's not limited to people who have the gift to do that. All of us are called to tell people about Jesus. I would even challenge you. Why don't you tell somebody about Jesus this week? You can start a conversation with somebody about Jesus. Ask them what they think about God. Hey, what do you think about God? And start a conversation about Jesus. Why don't you tell somebody about Jesus this week? That's the takeaway, and we'll build on that in the coming weeks, okay? Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your challenge. Thank you that you have been very, very clear in how you want to use us. I ask, Lord, that we would be a people that would surrender, that would, that would give ourselves wholly. You say later in that 14th chapter, if, you, if you're not willing to take up your cross you, you, daily, you can't, you can't follow me. You can't be my disciple. And, and, Lord, that means giving you our life, giving you our life. You're in control. You're the master. You're the boss. We're the servant. You tell us what to do and we go and do it. Lord, help us to have that kind of heart for following you, for loving you, for walking with you, for being used by you, all for your glory. Transform us even now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.